on today's Expert Process Podcast. There's an upside and a downside to TV. The upside being it's very attainable and the sky is the limit. The downside is, is if you produce something and it doesn't go anywhere, it's very tough to repurpose it and actually salvage the effort. That, my friends, was sales agent, producer, and international distributor Mark Klebanoff. In this episode, Mark holds no punches in breaking down and demystifying the curiosities behind getting a distribution deal. So stay tuned and hear what he has to say that could literally change your life. Do you know six in 10 businesses will fail within the first five years? First five years. Or 43% of Americans need a side hustle just to make ends meet? Just to make ends meet. Or that it takes 10,000 hours to master any subject. Any subject. Welcome to the Expert Process Podcast, where we cut the time to mastery in half with our seasoned pros. And now, from Atlanta, Georgia, broadcasting worldwide, here's your resident expert, Durante Smith. Hello again, EIT Nation, or all of you experts in training. Welcome to the Expert Process Podcast. I'm your host, Durante Smith, and it's my job to interview some of the most hardworking, highly successful professionals on the planet. The show follows a 12-week online masterclass at theexpertprocess.com, where you'll learn from start to finish what it takes to make it in your industry. The program is chock full of professional advice, resources, and even context to help you get to the next level in half the time. The podcast is your introduction, the masterclass is the blueprint, and I'm your guide. Now, buckle up and get ready for the ride. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Airbnb. Now, if you're like me, you like to travel in comfort, style, but also economically when you can. And I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not keen on staying in someone else's home. That is until I discovered Airbnb, my friend. My very first stay was about six years ago in Santa Monica, California, ironically, during the American film market. I stayed in a beautiful home just 1.26 miles from the beach. And get this, my host made fresh squeezed orange juice every single morning with the choice of bagels, croissants, or even donuts. What a treat. All of that for only $95 a night in Santa Monica. And she had five-star reviews. Really? Oh, and then there was Knoxville, Nashville, Dallas, Daytona, Portland. Oh, Portland is gorgeous, especially this time of year. You name it. Since then, I've been sold. I'm a believer in crowd sharing and the disruptor industry. And I love, love, love me some Airbnb. So do yourself a favor and try it out. Use my promo code to save yourself $55 off your first adventure. Go to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, forward slash expert process Airbnb. Again, that's bit.ly, forward slash expert process Airbnb for your getaway today. And we pick up mid-interview. The, the new age technology, right? The digital realms that we're talking about, 
I think this calls it OTT is what this called. OTT is a, a very loosely defined category of distribution. Technically, anything that sells direct to the consumer, like Netflix, could be considered OTT. On the other hand, you know, Netflix is also subscription-based VOD. It's SVOD. So yeah. OTT is kind of this, this new term that gets thrown around a lot. It's very loosely defined. I mean, almost anything could be considered an OTT platform that is not tied to a bigger entity that is its own enter- entity streaming content. Yeah. And then, what? so to your point, uh, so you got SVOD. It's like two other new markets, yeah, right? So there's, there's three types of digital in terms of like, you know, the big picture category. You have TVOD, SVOD, and AVOD. Okay. Transactional. That's usually the first one that happens. Uh, transactional is like iTunes, where somebody pays one-time fee and they're purchasing, you know, whether it's a one-time streaming or you're purchasing a download, whatever it is. That's transactional. It's almost like going into a store and buying a DVD. Then you have SVOD, subscription-based VOD, which would be like Netflix or Amazon Prime. So you're not paying on a per-view basis. You're paying a flat subscription fee, and you have access to everything on that platform. And then there's AVOD, ad-based VOD, which as of recently is starting to become very lucrative. There's a, uh, there's a great AVOD platform called TubiTV, T-U-B-I-T-V. And it's free to the consumer as long as, you know, like watching television back in the day. It's free to watch the content, but you have to watch ads. That's what pays for it. And we're actually seeing really significant revenue on a lot of titles from Tubi TV or AVOD platforms. Those are the three kind of big picture categories of digital distribution. And so the thing for us as indie film producers, then do we shift our focus from film, you know, feature film? to more of episodic? Is that the door now? Is that the window? Very timely question, actually, because I myself am actually starting to delve into it much more aggressively. I look at it this way. Film is harder to produce because it takes more money, but it's a more calculated investment. Because with a film, you know exact, well, when I say you, distributors, people like myself, I'm a sales agent. I can reverse engineer. I know exactly how to sell a film and create a budget based on what I know, based on the business I know the film's gonna do. So I can take a very calculated approach to how I produce and exploit and monetize a film. TV is a little more risky. It's much more attainable because you can shoot it, you know, short form, for example, you can shoot very inexpensively, but there's not as clearly a defined path for it. You know, I hear people all the time, oh, I'm going to make something and pitch it to Netflix. I'm going to make something and pitch it wherever. It's like, yeah, good luck. You know, I mean, maybe you do. And I wish everybody luck, but it's not that easy. Even if you have something really high end, it's still tough to get it in front of the right people. You need a showrunner. You need somebody with a, a network track record of selling network TV to be able to facilitate those opportunities. And I can give you specific examples with things that I've produced. So I think. TV is a great avenue. I'm actually gearing up to shoot a short form series. The Emmy now have a category specifically for short form series content. So we're shooting six episodes of, I guess, you know, five, six years ago, you would have called it a web series. Now we call it a new media series. But that's what we're doing. Six, 10 minute episodes. We're going to cut it into six pieces and release it. But we're also going to cut a traditional pilot. And we'll see what happens. But we're spending very little money because at the end of the day, if it doesn't find a home somewhere, 
I don't know what to do with it. There's no way to salvage it the way you can with a movie. Even if a movie misfires out the gate, there's ways to exploit it internationally and still generate some revenue off of it. So there's an upside and a downside to TV. The upside being it's very attainable and the sky is the limit. The downside is, is if you produce something and it doesn't go anywhere, it's very tough to repurpose it and actually salvage the effort. So if you were doing a longer form episodic, so your typical 20, 30 minutes, and you were doing a, a few more episodes, so let's say more like Milan's of eight to 10 episodes, would you then look more towards something like MIPCOM, where you can go and sell it for these other smaller markets? Absolutely. Um you know, I think the days of going in and pitching networks on TV concepts is kind of done. Not to say it can't be done, but the, the only people that are really going to be able to do that efficiently are people who have long standing track records within network TV. You know, most of the newbies, the people trying to break in, it's always smarter to go and produce the content and try to sell the finished content. Netflix, for example, is looking to acquire finished content. They want six to eight episodes of something to walk through the door not somebody with a concept. So uh, you're exactly right. Once you have, you know, whether it's six episodes, eight episodes, 10 episodes, whatever it is, correct, you would get a representative, a sales agent, the same way you would with a film. And you would go to the TV markets like MIPCOM, which comes up next week. There's NAPI, which I attended in Miami in January. And there are sales agents that specialize in television. And they would go out and license the rights around the world to that TV content. If someone like myself is trying to acquire a sales agent, which I'm in Atlanta, so I probably have a bit more of an advantage than most, but even still, how do we go about making that contact? How do we go about um, making that initial, you know, reaching out and even trying to secure any kind of dialogue at all? Well, it's kind of a, a twofold answer to that question. First off, it's how do you actually find who to approach? It takes a lot of due diligence, a lot of homework. I mean, there's online resources like Sanando where you can go yeah. on, research sales agents and distributors and find the right people to contact and make your solicitations. I'm always an advocate of actually showing up at markets and networking and trying to meet salespeople. I, you know, meeting people face to face and building a rapport that way, I think is always advantageous. But it just, it takes a lot of due diligence and also just networking with other filmmakers. More often than not, when I have a film that comes to me for consideration to pick it up and, and rep it as a sales agent, more often than not, it's through a referral, either another producer whose film I've, I've represented or, you know, whatever it may be. So it takes a lot of due diligence, a lot of, a lot of homework. It's kind of a tedious process, but there's online resources, there's going to markets, and then there's just talking to other content creators and getting a sense of who's worthwhile to approach. Now, the second half to that is how to approach them. There's ways to entice sales agent, and there's even more ways to turn a sales agent off. First of all, always having something finished to show is gonna be more appealing to a sales agent than having something that's in development. Not to say a sales agent is gonna be dismissive of somebody who's in development, but you know, time is money to us. So we wanna know that if we are talking to somebody about a concept, it's something that at least is packaged, maybe has money behind it, something that we know or feel very confident is gonna move forward and become real. Uh, very often people come to us and you know they wanna talk about scripts or ideas, and like that's just not, that doesn't nurture any real business to be done. Fine, Scott. So, correct. 
and then the other thing is, is assuming you do have something, whether it's finished or something in post-production or something real to present, there's a right and a wrong way to present it. Uh, very often I get people who will just right off the bat, send me a screener, full screener. Hey, how are you? Here's my thing. Here's the screener. Well, I don't want to watch a screener. I don't have time. I don't have a department of people on a payroll that sit there and watch content for me. I have to do most of it myself. I don't want somebody to just blindly send me a screener. I'm not going to watch it. What I want someone to do is give me the bare bones, who's involved, what it is. I want them to send me ideally some kind of key art or poster, something with imagery. So I know right off the bat what it is they're soliciting. And then I want to see a teaser or a trailer. And the reason I want to see a teaser or a trailer is I want to see if it's intriguing to me. Conceptually, I can tell by the trailer if there's a good production value right. and if the filmmaker has a real sense of making something viable. Very often I'll get sent trailers that are unwatchable. And I look at it this way. How am I going to watch a full feature film or TV series or whatever if I make it to the trailer? So right. I want to see it in the same order that an audience member would. You know, I go to the movies, I watch a trailer, that movie looks great, I'm going to go see it. Same thing as a sales agent. Show me something to entice me before you just say, here's my screener. That's very presumptuous and it's not very respectful of my time as a sales agent. So once you figure out who the right people to approach are, there is a right way to approach them as well. And that's also something uh, not to shamelessly self-promote, but that is something that we go into in a very detailed manner in our courses as well. Yeah, I was going to say, that's actually a really excellent segue into your course and part of your course, which is the pitch deck section. That's a part of your package. It's a necessary part of your package. You know, a lot of the filmmakers I talk to locally, they don't even know what a sell sheet is. I have to educate them on what a sell sheet is, which is the most basic thing you need to have. Then you talk about the pitch deck. Then you talk about the lookbook. Then you talk about all these different elements and components of what makes a, a presentable package. You have to know those things going in before you can be expected to be seen as a professional right. when you're talking with the sales agents or buyers or distributors. But yeah. that also is the segue in for AFM coming up. So my question now is, A, what is your experience with the AFM as far as films getting made and films getting sold? And also, what would you tell the audience they should expect for going to the AFM? Okay. That's a multifaceted question, but first and foremost, as a producer, you have to think of being a producer, not as somebody producing or delivering a creative, uh, you know, a creative output. You have to think of it like a business. Right. If you're not thinking of it like a business, then you're misfiring right out the gate. A film has to be put together as a business and every business has less glamorous and less exciting components to it. For example, finance, legal, you know, all the the non-creative components that are going to help you build your business because that's what your movie is. It's a business. And if it's not a business, then it's just a hobby. So producers have to approach everything like a business. They have to educate themselves about what needs to be done in advance so that they can actually get to the point where they can produce something that can be exploited and distributed. I can't tell you how many times I've had filmmakers bring me their film and maybe they've made a good film but they didn't have the savvy to produce their project in a way that's going to be attractive or realistic for a distributor to pick up. And I'll give you an example. I sell movies to Lionsgate sometimes. Lionsgate has a division of their company called Grindstone Entertainment. 
Grindstone Entertainment is their non-theatrical distribution arm. So they pick up a lot of independent content, mostly action films, faith-based films, things like that. A lot of the DVDs you see on the shelf at like Target and Walmart come through Grindstone, which is a division of Lionsgate. Dealing with Lionsgate, you're dealing with a studio. Their delivery schedule, basically their list of delivery requirements would make your head spin. And I'm not just talking about the physical assets like the master and the trailer and the audio and those types of things. I'm talking about the legal delivery, all the documentation, all the paperwork, everything that they require for them to be able to pick up and exploit your film. So very often I'll get filmmakers who come to me and they're like, I want you to pitch this to Grindstone or you get Lionsgate or Sony or one of these guys to release it. And even if I think the film has merit, the problem is, is more often than not, I know that they're not going to be able to satisfy the legal delivery. So it really has to be approached as a business. And that's why we created the courses, the online courses, the indie film ins and outs, was to help educate content creators about how the business works so they can bridge that gap. Now going to the AFM, I encourage everyone to go, if not to the AFM, to a film market at some point. Because most independent filmmakers, I find, have tunnel vision in the sense that most people are so caught up in their own project they don't really have a realistic or a full view of what they're up against within the grand scheme of the market. So I think it's really helpful to attend a market to see what else exists, what you're up against, what's selling, what's not selling. It's also a great place to actually meet and network with sales agents, distributors, and just general distribution professionals. And for most of us in the United States, the AFM, the American Film Market, November is the most accessible one. Other ones that I go to, I go to the European film market in Berlin in February. I go to the Cannes film market in the south of France in May. Uh, this coming year, I'm going to the Hong Kong film market in March. I went to Nappy in Miami. So we just had Toronto. So there's film markets all over the world. But AFM, especially for the United States and people in LA, that's a very accessible one. Costs you a little bit of money to go and get a badge and be able to walk the floors, but it's worthwhile. And it's It'll be an astounding education for anybody who's never experienced it because you walk around these halls, they actually convert a hotel, a hotel in Santa Monica into offices. They literally remove, remove the beds from all the suites and they turn them into offices and companies like mine, we rent a suite for the week and we take buyer meetings and we sell movies all over the world. So it's interesting to be able to walk the halls of the AFM and see all the thousands of movies, new movies that are contending for those those very valuable distribution slots. It's very humbling and it's it's just incredibly educational and it's something every producer or content creator should go experience. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. Hey, are you guys enjoying the show? If so, take a moment to opt into our email list. We're building out our platform with all sorts of things to boost your career. Just go to our website at theexpertprocess.com. That's theexpertprocess.com to sign up. Be sure to enter your best email address and claim your free gift. Do it today and you'll be glad you did. Now, back to the show. So you, earlier you mentioned Sanando. Uh, Sanando being the basically the hub for the AFM and for these other major markets where you go when you, you get registered. I refer and to Sanando. Sanando is like IMDB for distributor. Right. And so when I first went to AFM, I kind of stumbled upon the whole Sanando thing. 
And I was able to go solicit meetings in advance of the AFM. And so when I got there, I had probably 10 or 12 meetings already set up. Now, unfortunately, not everyone <laughs> sticks to the meeting because you'll get quite That's a few true. canceled. You know, but That's why, well, there's a couple of rules. You never want to have a meeting before 10 a.m. because everybody's out late drinking. <laughs> That's number <laughs> one. And yeah, people, especially buyers, they're, they're going to screenings. They're, they have meetings with uh, sales agents like myself. And yeah, you have to keep a flexible schedule because just people's schedules get turned upside down and everything's always, it's constantly a giant juggling act and a big puzzle to fit everything in. Well, it's a fluid environment. You know, I mean, everything is just, it's moving every which way. You know, you just have to be, like you say, you just have to kind of go with the flow. Meetings, I'm literally walking around and walking the lobby, just bumping into people to have conversations because right. everybody is there. And the thing I found was just by having those meetings set up, it gave me a leg up over folks that were coming there just to network at the event, not having anything else already pre-established and not having any kind of structure to what they were doing. So that said, if folks are trying to get in contact with someone like yourself, you know, the sales agents, to rep them on what they do, you mentioned that there's a good approach, a bad approach. But how do they approach you in person as far as on the networking side goes? Because <laughs> that's a talent and an art in and of itself as well. Yeah, it's true. You know, some sales agents won't let people in the room. I'm happy to let people in the room as long as they're respectful. There's days, for example, that are more ideal for filmmakers and producers to knock on the door and try to book a meeting. That first weekend, for example, that like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that's when everything's crazy when all the buyers are there and we're trying to do our business. So for somebody like me, it costs my company twenty to $25,000 just to exhibit and have a presence at the American film market. So I want to maximize my time and do as much business as I can for the sake of covering my costs. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm less likely to take the time those those first few busy days to sit with producers and hear them talk about their movies. Whereas right. toward the end, as things start to taper off, yeah, I'm always happy to, to sit with producers and talk to them. You know, again, producers, uh, most sales agents are happy to talk to producers. They just have to be respectful of the reason why sales agents are there and just be flexible. You're listening to the Expert Process Podcast. We'll be back in just a moment after we thank our sponsors. Hey, I've got a question for you. How many times have you seen those sponsored ads in your news feed? Any ideas? Have you ever clicked on them? You have? Well, make that at least two of us. So recently I came across a guy marketing his film course on distribution. It was reasonably priced, so I checked him out. Lo and behold, he is the real deal. Now, this guy I'm talking about is today's guest. He's a film sales agent and a producer of multiple films. That's Mark Klevinoff. Mark lays out the game plan for coming correct with your approach to getting a sales agent, a distributor, and even getting your film sold. From financing to pitch decks to literally everything in between, he's got you covered. Now, to get your special discount today, use my promo code and go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash expert process ins and outs. That's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash expert process ins, I-N-S, A-N-D and outs, O-U-T-S. Trust me, you can thank me later. Now back to the show. It sounds like to me, 
as far as us having a productive AFM, the target is A, to try to get a scheduled meeting if you can and, and reach out in advance. And then B, schedule those meetings later in the AFM rather than earlier in the AFM and then be respectful of their time and understanding that the earlier part of the uh, event is not really meant for us. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. I mean, AFM is a great place to go, network, meet other producers, meet sales agents, meet distributors, even potentially meet investors. You never know. Meet talent. The who's who is there. But yeah, I mean, like I said, the main purpose of the market is to buy and sell finished films. But, you know, again, we, we're always there looking to acquire new content. And if somebody has a finished film, that's obviously going to be prioritized ahead of somebody who's just got a script or just starting to get their project off the ground and whatnot. That gotcha. Yeah, it does. And here's, here's one other thing that I know somebody out there is thinking. They've got a finished film from a year ago, two years ago four years ago, is that film dead if they didn't do anything with it three years ago or whatever? Is that a dead project or can you revive it? What is that? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's dead, but it's definitely past its prime. I mean, the first year and a half to two years, first 18 to 24 months is always going to be the most lucrative time to exploit a film. The other thing is, is overseas, a lot of buyers live and breathe and die by IMDb. So in certain parts of Asia, for example, buyers won't buy anything more than two years old. So if it's 2019 and you got a film from 2015, they're not going to look at it. On the other hand, there's a lot of buyers who they want to look at what we call library titles, meaning older titles. They're going to pay less money for it, but there's still business to be done. And in the digital market, like I said, because it's not about shelf space anymore, there's room for everything. There's always buyers and platforms who just need content and they're willing to pick up older stuff. You know, so like I said, there's there's less meat on the bone in terms of money to be made, but I would say that a film at any point is absolutely dead. A film that's already been with a distributor that had maybe a short run, a year, two year contract, something like that, right? That film has already been exploited worldwide. Then in that event, is that film dead? Because let's say, for example, their contract was, was two years or three years, but now you're four or five years later and you're saying now it's an older title, right? Well, but yeah, if the rights have reverted back to you, you know, there, there are methods to exploit the film again. It's not going to be hugely lucrative, but I would never say the film is dead. Most distribution contracts are much longer term, like, you know, 10 to 15 years, sometimes even far longer than that. Um, sales agents contracts, like when I sign a film, I'll usually only sign a film for a year, maybe two years. Um, some sales agents want seven to 10 years. I don't want to be stuck with that long. So like my contract as the person repping the film might expire and then there's still plenty of other places it's never been exploited and maybe another sales agent can gotcha that makes sense you know what is the what would you say is the difference between afm and these other markets so for example con and the efm well first of all you know i like i said i encourage people to go check out the afm especially if they never have but to be perfectly honest, I believe, and I think most people would agree with me, that the American film market is a dying market. I think that next five to seven years, the AFM is going to be gone, and Toronto will probably emerge as the go-to North American market. The problem with AFM is it's, it's exorbitantly expensive, and the quality of content that shows up there is less impressive for the buyers than, say, a EFM or CAN. And the reason is, is 
there's a lot of garbage being made in the United States in particular. A lot of really low budget, just garbage. Not to be dismissive of anybody's work, but there's just a lot of not very good content. And also the AFM doesn't have much of an accreditation process. When you go to Berlin and Cannes, they don't just let anybody show up and walk around and exhibit. You have to be an accredited professional in the industry. The AFM, because they're struggling, they have to be very lackadaisical about their accreditation process. And there's a lot of, frankly, people who are not qualified. But in terms of the difference, you know, Berlin is in February. It's it's the first big market of the year. I personally like it because, you know, the holidays are done. People have budget for the year. And so people are ready to get back to work. And so a lot of business tends to be done. Also, Berlin's very cold in February. So people aren't, you know, and everybody's out till four in the morning, you know, because it's May and you're on the French Riviera and people aren't like yachts parting till 4 a.m. <laughs> Right. Less business gets done. In Berlin, it's not like that. It's much more business driven. Um, so Berlin is actually my favorite market of the year. Cannes is an experience. I think everybody in our business at some point in their life should go experience Cannes. But Cannes is, Cannes is such a massive event uh, compared to other film markets. AFM, EFM, they're all big events. Cannes is a whole different deal. I mean, we're talking about the entire city is hopping for three weeks. So it's just, it's, but for networking purposes and just general fun and experience, it's definitely worth attending and plenty of business does get done. I find it a less lucrative market for me uh, just because Ken is more about the party, you know, and then there's other film markets like Hong Kong has really started to emerge as a really good one. And it's, you know, Hong Kong is only like a three day market in March. You know, I'm start I'm going to start attending it this year. Because it just seems very business driven in Asia. The Asian market is very strong right now. The European market's been less strong the last couple of years. The Asian market has been very strong. So, you know, I want to go to an Asian market and do as much business as I can. All the markets have their upsides and downsides, but they're all, at least for people like me, they're all must tend events. You know, right. if I don't go to AFM or don't go to Cannes one year and just like don't have a presence, that can speak almost louder than being there. Not having a presence almost makes a more of an impression than being there and having a small presence. Gotcha. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. definitely. Yeah. No, but for me, I have to show up. It's like I have to show my face. It's important, and it's always important to have new content and to show buyers and my clients that my company is not only sustaining but growing. So sometimes I'll invest a little more aggressively in a certain market to kind of like flex a little muscle and show my buyers that we're doing great, whether we are or are not. What is a successful AFM? Uh, you're, you're saying that uh, we can take the time to get there, go out and get the experience of the AFM. But from indie producer standpoint, what, what qualifies as a successful event? You want to go home with a lot of new knowledge and intel and a backpack full of business cards. That's the goal. You want to go and you meet, want to meet everybody because... It's always amazing how many potential opportunities come out of AFM. I mean, you know, I'm there for the sale. But then every year, a couple of really amazing projects show up and they're that I get involved in from a distribution standpoint. And every year we end up meeting people who we end up either talking to or partnering with on a production. There's a lot of people out there and people come all over the world to the American film market. So you never know what's going to walk in the door. 
When you say that you guys look, you find those partnerships, I know there's certain nuances that you probably look for, but what is that? What is the qualifier for people or the projects that you want to partner with? Yeah, I mean, sometimes, for example, we'll get people that come in the room, they have a really good project, they have financing, they have talent, and they just need producerial help. They just need producers, or they want help grooming their project for distribution. You know, those are projects that we're always happy to get involved in. When people come in and they want to pitch a script or they're just looking for money, that's not what we're there for. Did you hear that, guys? That is not what they're there for. A sales agent's job is to get the bag, a.k.a. show me the money. And the big thanks to my friend, Mark Klebanoff, for his insight into all things distribution. You can find out more about Mark's courses at IndieFilmInsAndOuts.com. That's IndieFilmInsAndOuts.com. I-N-D-I-E-F-I-L-M-I-N-S-A-N-D-O-U-T-S.com. And a very special thank you to you, my listener. Now, this podcast and all that it entails is the culmination of a lot of hard work and in many ways a dream come true. Please bear with us as we continue to fine tune the show. And if you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe, leave a review and share with your preferred social media. Trust me, every little bit counts. If you have any suggestions, recommendations, referrals or show ideas, please feel free to reach out to me at smith.durante at gmail.com. That's smith, S-M-I-T-H dot Durante, D-E-R-O-N-T-E at gmail.com. Oh, and soon you'll be able to get the show notes. My promise. Until next time, love, peace, and fish grease. I'm out. Thank you for tuning in to today's show. For only the best show notes, links, classes, and more, go to theexpertprocess.com or follow us on Facebook at The Expert Process or hit us up on Instagram at The Expert Process. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review, subscribe, and share.